0: Glad you guys are here to worship with us at Church in the Valley. Uh, My name is Alex Barrett, and I'm the campus pastor of our campus in Alhambra, uh, just a little bit ways away towards Los Angeles, and it's a pleasure uh, to be with all of you today. Uh, We're continuing the message series that we started two weeks ago called What's Best Today? And in the series, uh, we kind of timed it with, with kind of launching in a new year and looking at how do you make the most of your time? Uh, How do you determine the things that you should focus in and on in any given day? And really, how do you kind of measure uh, whether today has been a good day? And that's always kind of something that we're wondering about when we wake up, when we go to bed, we're always trying to figure out how, how do I make the most out of the time that I've been given in this day? And so our goal in this series is to provide like a backdrop for how do you figure that out? So big picture and also practical steps for actually once you kind of have clarity, how do you take steps uh, towards it? And so our goal at Church in the Valley is to help people really make the most out of this life. And to do that, we look at the scriptures because the scriptures is our guide as we decide to follow Jesus Christ. And as we decide that he's the one that we want to lead us, uh, we have to look to his word to, to be our guide. And so in this series, that's what we've been doing, like looking at the scriptures, determining how do we best live this life uh, that we've been given. And so the first week we kind of broad stroke the best that we can do in any given day is to turn away from evil and uh, to do good. That's it. It's really you, you turn away from the things that aren't pleasing to God and then you aggressively pursue the things that are pleasing to God. And then last week uh, we talked specifically about how to make sure that the right priorities are in order and there are certain things that God wants done on this earth and that includes a loving him and loving others. That includes telling others about him. And it also includes how you handle the details of everyday life and how there really is meaning in such things as chores and in yard work uh, because those are the responsibilities that he's given us. And so there's part of making the best of our time that's actually handing our responsibilities in a way that pleases God. And so you get this aspect that God is actually really concerned with what we do with our time. And the good news is he's given us the instructions and how to line up his view of things with our view of things. And so we continually have to, to look at that. So today we're going to kind of talk a little bit more of what we mentioned last week. And that's the idea of loving others. If we're made to do good and God put us on this earth to do that, well, there's this component of relating to each other on this earth and in this life that that's really important to God. And so the idea of being productive and stacking up a good day, you can't just focus on your own strategy, your own tasks, your own boxes that you need to check off in any given day. And I don't know about you, but oftentimes as I've tried to learn how to manage my time better, it's usually me and time. It's like, how do I make the most of the time I have in my day and how do I prioritize and make choices so I do this or I don't do that? But really, there's this whole piece of productivity and there's this whole piece of time which includes others. And I don't know about you, but as soon as you include others in your life, life gets a little bit more chaotic. It gets messy, right? Because do others have your schedule? No. Do others have your view of things? No. Oftentimes, they have a very different view. Do they have the same expectations? Usually not. They have the same desires, some, but we're all a mixed bag. We love certain things. We hate certain things. It's all different. So as soon as you start putting people in your, your life, you realize that sometimes the productivity meter kind of goes way down. And you're like, people are slowing me down. They just need to get on board with my agenda. And then things will go a lot faster. But there's a whole part of being productive that actually includes people. And in fact, you can't be productive without Having your life orbit around people in a certain way. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And I want to start with a familiar story. But before I do that, I think it's helpful. We touched on this last week, but there's usually two kinds of of people. And this isn't like to divide the room. You're not going to have to sit over here if you're a certain type or sit over here if you're another type. But in any given day, we usually approach things to two extremes. We're either high task. we have all the things we have to do. And you may be one of those people that you not just have the things in your head. You like to write them down. Things called planners. And every year you get excited about a new planner or a new checklist that you can write. Like that's part of your world. Like that really invigorates you. Not only do I want to accomplish the task, but I want a way to write them in a neat way that just feels so good when I go done. You might be a checker boxer. You might be a crosser outer. But there's ideas we all have tasks and you may be high task. You just want to get stuff done. The other end of the spectrum, you just you just love people and you just want to be where they are. And like, you may have tasks, but you don't need to write them down. You do them as you think about them, which may happen or it may not. And you could be the so extreme of like, well, I just live life and I love people and I love people and I live life. And oftentimes you end up like, being in a family with those two extremes. And then the question is, well, who's been most productive? And the task people are thinking, well, surely it's measured by my notebook and the amounts of checks or cross routers I have. And the other side is, well, certainly it's by all the people that I've talked to. I've helped. I've encouraged and loved. And sometimes you find yourself trying to figure out like, okay, I got to get all this stuff done. I don't have time for people. And so you just have to focus and people distract us. Or you're thinking, there's just so many people that I want to love in my life that I don't have time to do all the tasks. And so oftentimes we kind of get blown from one extreme to the other. And that's a lot of life. Like maturity is you don't go to extremes. You try to find the middle. And that's true. Part of being productive is you have to get things done right by the nature of it. But where do people fit into that? So that's what we're going to talk about. To do it, I want to launch with a familiar story that you might have heard, uh, it's a phrase we use in, in our world today, and that's the Good Samaritan. Somebody was a Good Samaritan, and we use that. You hear it on the news. You hear it in reports. A tragedy happened, and then somebody helped them, and they become the Good Samaritan. Well, if you've ever wondered where that comes from, I want to share this story with you today. It's found, actually, in the New Testament of the Bible in the book of Luke. And Jesus wrote this or explained this story. And he used it as an example to try to give people the sense of what's really important. And the context of this story, uh, I was actually unfamiliar with myself and I was reading it over the last few weeks and I realized somebody was asking Jesus a lot of what we ask, which is, what do I need to do with my time? Like, can you boil it down? Like, what is it that I need to do from day to day? And so he, he, he wanted to ask Jesus, like, what, what's the good life? Like, what do I need to do? And Jesus said, you know, you need to love the Lord your God with everything in you. Every part of your life, you need to love God. And then he said, and you need to love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus oftentimes did that. There's a sense in which people were trying to like corner him and get like the little just snapshot version of life so they could just check it off and say, well, I did what Jesus told me to do. Because if you do what Jesus told you to do, who can have anything against you, right? And that's what they were thinking. So the common thought was like, I just want the snapshot. I want the... I want the just short statement. It's like a Twitter before Twitter. Like just give me the 140 character like purpose for my life and I'll make sure I do that. But as always happened, Jesus came with the statements that were short, concise, but packed with a life full of what you needed to do. So he said, love God with everything in you. Not just your feelings, but your mind, not just your mind, but your heart, not just your heart, but your soul, not just your soul, but your strength. And so you begin to think, like, there's a lot to that. And then he adds on, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so there's a lawyer that's in this scene, and he's the one that's asking the question. And so like a lawyer, he's thinking, okay, let's let's boil this down even further. And so it's kind of this cross-examination. And then he asks this question, Jesus. Okay, so you've talked about life being productive, and it's loving God. I get that. Like, loving God, that should be what you say. You're Jesus, and you claim to be the Son of God then you said, love your neighbor. What what does that mean? And so he asked the follow up questions, this, this follow up. Well, Jesus, who is my neighbor? And he's trying to boil it down. And that's like we are when we look at life and being productive and making the most of our time. We want just what's the minimum smallest thing we have to do to figure it out. You said neighbor, but like We live in this region at this time and there's all sorts of neighbors. Some were enemy. So neighbor is a very broad term. And so he's trying to narrow it down. Who is my neighbor? And so Jesus goes on to tell the story and we're not going to read it, but it goes like this. There's a priest and a Levite that are walking and there's a Jewish man that is robbed and he's left basically for dead on the roadway. And this is a common picture people have, You, you know, you have to walk everywhere to get where it is. And sometimes some roads were safer than others. And this man happened to go on a road and he got attacked and a priest and Levite came upon him. And these were the religious leaders of the day, probably on their way home from maybe their religious activities. And they see this, this man that's in pain, in trouble, close to death. And Jesus is kind of drawing the crowd. And he always did that. He told these stories that drew people in. And then he explained what this priest and what this Levite did And he said that they they passed on by. They saw him and they passed on by and they went away on their business. The idea of passed on by. Have you ever seen something that you see as being a crisis? Maybe at work. You see somebody that's unhappy. They begin to voice their concern and you kind of get the sense of like the drama meter has raised. You know what I'm talking about? And you see it happening. You see someone voicing a concern. You see a conflict about to erupt and you see yourself like. I'm going to go to the lunchroom right now. Or if it's in the lunchroom, I'm going to go back to work. That's the only time you're really like pumped. You see it kind of boiling. And there's a part in which we pass on by. It's drama that we don't want to be entangled with. Right. Or like on a freeway, you see this, this accident's about to happen. And oftentimes, well, you want to get away from that. But then the other times you're like, what is going on? And that's why there's traffic on both sides of the freeway. That's another story. But anyways, there's a sense in which we, we, we just want to avoid and, and Jesus is saying that this man had some real needs. He was at the bottom of his life. He was in this tragic moment and they passed on by the the religious leaders. And then he shifts the script on the story and he says a Samaritan walked by and helped the man. He took care. He took concern. He went out of his way and he made sure that the man was going to not only be okay and check on him, but He actually made sure that he was going to live, and he paid his own money to take care of him. And the Samaritan at the time was the exact opposite of a religious leader. These weren't Jewish people. These were like the enemies. These were the heretics. This was the group that you didn't want to associate with. And so Jesus is getting their attention and saying, oftentimes we have a picture of people in our mind that, that we just want to pass them on by. But There's this man who you would consider unholy, unrighteous, a Samaritan who took the time to love and to care. In that moment, whatever he was doing, he dropped to do it and to help. And so Jesus at the end asked this question, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? See, the lawyer was coming to him to try to corner him. You know, Jesus, I'm about to ask you a series of questions where you're going to feel sequestered. You're going to feel like you have no way out. And then Jesus answered it, and then he turns it back on him. Which was the neighbor. And then he answered the lawyer. He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So the very thing that he wanted to boil down, like what's the minimum that I need to do to be productive and still try to include people in my life, Jesus turned it upside down. The idea here is is he's defining what productivity is. It's really easy to kind of miss this story and think about, well, yeah, there's nice people and there's bad people, but he's actually defining what do you do with your time? What do you do when things happen around you? And how do you respond to that? And the point of this story that you find again and again in the scriptures that Jesus came and lived is this. People are opportunities to do the good that we were made to do. They are not problems to avoid. All of us have that tendency where we see stuff begin to boil. We see people beginning to have problems. And there's just the sense that we just don't want to get entangled in that. And Jesus showed the story of oftentimes our circle of influence, the people that we think that we need to engage with or interact with or actually love, it's so much smaller than Jesus' circle for us. And so by this, he he defined two things. Where do people fit? And also, who are neighbors? And neighbors are people that God places on our path. And we're making choices each day with the people that God has put in our life. And that begs the question, are all people opportunities to love? Most of the time. Now, sometimes they can be distractions. And sometimes they can prevent us from doing the better thing that that God wants us to do. But usually that's not the case. Usually we have things that we need done. And people are interruptions to that. So we're going to kind of talk about, well, how how do you kind of deal with that, that tension point of how people fit? And so Jesus began with this, this idea. He did that again and again through his life. People are opportunities. They provide opportunities to do the good that God wants us to do. In the New Testament, this is fleshed out even more, and I want to walk through that. And that is really when we choose what to do with our time and what we choose to do with our resources, And that's really how our life is made up, what we do with our time, our choices that we make, and then how we spend our money, how we use our talent, how we use our energy. That's what makes up our life. And what you find again and again in the scripture is that the guiding principle for life is love. It's love. It's not the idea of love. It's not the feeling of love, but it's actually loving others. And you see this again and again love being the hugest deal and that's why you have to love God and you have to love others that's what life is all about so I want to unpack that a little bit I want to read a couple of scriptures in the New Testament written by Paul who was a, a church starter and a lot of scriptures we read are from Paul because he started many churches in the New Testament and he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament and because of that, you always get this flavor of he's trying to help people who are new to following Christ figure out what that means. And if you're like me, that's really helpful, because I, I've been following Christ for a long time. But there's sometimes when I read it where I'm like, that's right, I, I got lost in that. I've gotten sidetracked from that. And so the scriptures are written, it just it boils it down. It gives us clarity. And so there's a, there's a passage in the book of Ephesians which gives this, this command for the life that we're supposed to live. And this is what it says. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And so we heard the story about Jesus and Jesus lived his life and he set this example of what it meant to love others. And then the the New Testament is written about more of what that, of Jesus' life, what that did for us. And Paul here is saying that we have to live this life of love. We have to walk in this love just as Jesus did. And Jesus' definition of love is of sacrifice. That's what he did on the cross. That is the picture of love. He laid down his life for us, he sacrificed himself for us. And so that's the model and the example. Love is this sacrifice. And that's what Jesus modeled, and that's what we're encouraged to live. Now, in our day and time, love oftentimes is a word that you, you say. Like I, I love you. And I have uh you know young kids right now, and especially my, my youngest, there's a sense in which love is is just a word that, that he likes to say a lot. I don't know if you've ever experienced this before, but what I've realized is if I don't say I love him back after he says I love me, then I don't love him in his world. So oftentimes it'll go like this. I'm busy and I'm doing things like, I love you, dad. And I'm, you know, doing stuff and I I love you, dad. And I, I'm thinking like, you know, thank you, son. Like that, that means a lot. I, I love you, dad. What's he waiting for? I love you too, son. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, thanks. Like, cause I asked you three times and you didn't. I told you three times, but you didn't say it back. So love is often, often like that. It's something you say. Or, you know, as you get older, love is something that you, you, you feel. Man, I, just, I love this person. I want to be with this person. I want to kind of, where they are, I want to be. And romantic love is heavy on feeling. But the love that you find in the scriptures is not based on feeling or based on words. It's based on sacrificial action putting the interests of others above our own. But it's so easy to just give lip service. On Friday, I was at Disneyland and some friends of ours got, got us in and we just enjoyed the day. And my, my youngest, who I just was talking about, he, he's four. And what I realized is he's, this is the first time he's like taken it all in. And he goes and he, you kind of experience Disneyland in a new way with somebody that's seeing it for the first time. And he's just looking at the Matterhorn, which is that like mountain with snow on it. And he's just thinking like, there's a mountain with snow in the middle of this park. And he doesn't understand that like, you know, our admission paid for that mountain with snow, but he's just, he's just looking at it and looking at it. And he says like, dad, look, look at the mountain. And my back was to it. And I said, Wow well, yeah, that is great. <laughs> and the reason I knew I did that, because he said, dad, you didn't even look. but I've seen it before and I felt it behind me. And right when he said that, I was like, that's so embarrassing. I didn't even realize I did that. Yeah, that, that was, that's great. Dad, you didn't even look at it. Wow. (laughs) It's got snow on it still. Right. But that, that's like love. Like you just, you say things and sometimes you don't even realize what that means. But to be committed to love as Jesus loved, it really is this battle to continually put others in front of you. That's what it means to be productive. You love people. It may not show up in your calendar, although you may need to calendar things to do that. It may not show off, show up in your boxes that have checked off, but it is productive. Paul gave another scripture in Romans thirteen eight. It says this Owe no one anything. This is very interesting. Owe no one anything except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law that goes back to the law that Jesus described: You love God with everything and you love your neighbor as yourself. That is actually a debt that we owe to each other. Being debt free and not being financially strained, that is something that that we should work towards with everything in us. But there's something that's even bigger than that, which describes this debt, and that's the debt to love. So again and again in the scriptures, you see how this works out. And what you find is is it's a moment-by-moment thing. And you don't know what God is doing in any given day with the people that he brings along your path. And what you find in the scriptures is love is, is at the heart of true productivity. It is. It's at the heart of it. They're not in separate compartments. I need to be on task. I need to be strategic. I need to be planned out. I need to get all my stuff done. And then it's like, okay, and then I'll try to be with my family. Or I'll try to help a coworker. Or I'll try to love my neighbor that lives right around me. No, it's actually it's at the heart of productivity. They're not in separate compartments at all. So that's something that, that we have to To wrestle with and so this is the question what are ways that we actually love people and I I thought about this myself because it goes back to what's really important in life but you know when you take care of your house and your yard you love your neighbors it's true your decision although you have freedom to make it impacts others it always does So how, how you take care of your things, even in your own property, even at your own house, it impacts those around you, paying your bills. That's loving your family. You take care of them. You might even say it like paying your taxes, (laughs) right? Like no part of us like what? That's no, but like paying your taxes, it actually funds certain things. And yeah, none of us necessarily want to pay them. But there's just things that we do that oftentimes is so disconnected from the impact it has on others. That was Jesus' point with that story. There's always these intersections that God provides. Because remember, he tells time, not by the, the watch, the minute, the hour, the day, but by the opportunities. And it's from one moment to the next moment. It's even in the small things. As a child wants your attention, like my son... That was an opportunity to love him. He was experiencing something, and he invited me into his world. And I just wanted to give him lip service. And he called me on it. And that was, that was really good for him to do because he showed, Hey, Dad, like, are we just going to say things to each other, but there's not going to be any action? I mean, I don't think he realized that. If he did, I'm in trouble. But that's what he was saying. And so th- this is at the heart of productivity. And all of these are their acts of love. What I want to do is I want to turn the corner and and look practically at how you can measure this. And and what does this mean that you'll actually do uh, with your time? And it starts with certain questions that that you may want to ask. At the end of any day, there's a question you want to ask. "Who, Who did I help today? Is there somebody that God brought along my path that I can help? Or did I help? So you have to ask that question. Were there needs that somebody had that I, that I was able to, to meet? Who was on my path that had problems I wanted to avoid? So as you begin to ask this, you can kind of see how we make choices as our lives intersect with others. And that's really helpful to do. But what we don't realize oftentimes is that love increases productivity. It's hard for us to actually believe that. Because we have our agendas, we have our tasks, we have our things that we need to get done. But what you don't realize as well, what I don't realize and I have to, to fight to remember is that the opposite of love is selfishness. It's thinking of yourself only. But actually, if love increases productivity, then selfishness has to make us actually unproductive. And I never really thought about that. Do you realize, like, when there's conflict and you're looking out for your interests and someone else is looking out for their interests, aren't you at the most unproductive state you could be in? Because you're not working with people. And there's whole departments at employer, you know, at, at jobs that, like, human resources, millions and millions and millions of dollars are paid on how do we resolve the conflict between selfish people. And it's not productive. So it's amazing if you look at conflict and you look at goals, how would love actually loosen things up so people want to work together? Like what what would that actually mean? And so oftentimes we have to remember what's the cost of me choosing to be unloving, not just what's the cost Of me having to sacrifice for others. Because there's actually a cost to both. And the cost of just living for yourself. Is greater. Not only in the day to day. But in a life that actually pleases God. Because at the end of it. If you've lived this life of love as Jesus modeled. And you've actually put the goals and interests of others above your own. That's a good life. That is a good life. The way Jesus sees it, that means your bank account may be so much smaller, but your life is still so much more successful. You have to fight for that. Because it goes to the core of what we think success is. As you dig in the Scriptures, you realize success is actually loving people. So as I wrap up, there's a few things I just want to kind of describe. These are practical snapshots. I'm going to go through these pretty quick, but they're Scriptures that are... attributed, you ever start saying a word and you realize you don't know how to say it in front of a group of people? Um, that happens to me regularly. Attributed It's like attributed. Um, there's scriptures that go along with this, this idea and it's found in the scriptures. That's why we, we have it, but read that scripture because that will give you more insight. Okay. So here's what it would look like to actually do this in practice in your work, in your family, in your neighborhood, anything that you, you do. First is, choose to multiply goodwill towards others. So you just act in, in goodwill. Um, that's the idea of you, you want to cooperate with people. If somebody has something they want to get done, part of goodwill is you, you want to help them accomplish it. And you have to choose that. And that's not easy because, again, we have things that we need to get done and we have things that we want to get done. And it's this battle of our desires. But when you choose to multiply goodwill towards others, that's like the Lord Jesus. That's what he did. Uh, The second, uh, put the other person first. So practically, think of all the ways and the intersections of your life where there's an order between you and somebody else. One thing for me, like merging on the freeway, you know, it's the zipper. You go, I go. But if there's a tie, I go. <laughs> tie goes to my driver, right? But what would it look like? And that's, you know, maybe not as crucial, but it could be. But I work like what are the, the ways in which you have a choice between you or someone else? Parking spot, snack, coffee, what, what, whatever that, that, that may be. Do good without demanding a return. I think I skipped one, sorry. Before that, uh, be eager in meeting the needs of others, not begrudging and reluctant. Uh, that, that's really the, the idea of your attitude. Eager. You, you're aggressively trying to help. Uh, reluctant. Sure, if, if I mean, if, if you need that, I, I can do it. I mean, do you really need it? right? There's a part of us like we're, you, we will help, but I want you to know that I'm choosing to help you. And that's not what I want to do, but I'll help because you need it. We all do that. We know that, but be eager. you need help. I'd love to help you. And in the tone of my voice, I'm not even going to let you know I'm stressed out and might not get all my stuff done, but it's not fake. Like it sounds you're eager. You you really want to help because that's Pleases the Lord. Uh, do good without demanding a return. It's connected. Sure, I'll help you. Man, my deadline next week. Don't know where my help's going to come from. <laughs> right? There's ties. There's this like, I help you and you help me. And surely that, that is a part of love. Love can't be one sided. But real love is. Knowing God will take care of you, and it may come from that person that you're helping, or it may come from somebody else, but there's no strings. How can I help you? And sometimes the hardest is the people that we live with. It's our family. It's our roommates. Those are the hardest people sometimes. Because our lives intersect, and there's all these components that work together. The last is, is do more good than expected. That one hurts. Because I tend to operate where, how would I know what's more expected? I only did what they asked me to do. And what you realize is we have a tremendous capacity as human beings to see the world of somebody else. And you don't know the impact of this until somebody does this to you. There's a sense in which you have a need, and not only do they help you with this need, they helped you with something that you didn't even realize you need help with yet. You ever experienced that? I've had that numerous times where we've been in a pinch, we've had trouble, and somebody's like, hey, we'll we'll get your kids, and we'll, we'll help you so you guys can figure this out. I've had a lot of health problems this past year, and there were numerous times where people did that. And they would help us out, and they'd grab our kids, and then... We'd get them and like, oh yeah, we've, we fed them, they're bathed, and you're like, <laughs> I don't even feed them and bathe them. <laughs> Just kidding, don't call CPS. But um, there's a sense in which like somebody met a need over and beyond what you even realized, and that's love. and That's the kind of people that, that Christians should be. We're not minimalists. We're not tight circle where you just got to fit in my own agenda and my own timing. And then I'll help you if it just happens. It's this aggressive pursuit of good to others. That's what it is. And so in any given day, this can happen. It starts by the moment you wake up. As you want your cup of coffee, is there anyone else that would like a cup of coffee? Could you make it for them? As you drive to work and there's one really good parking spot and then there's others that aren't as good. Is there anyone else that would like that spot? As you go to work and you think about the projects you do, it's so easy to get into the, I don't want to do that. Why do I have to do that? Why did the boss ask me to do that? But what if you actually loved your boss and did it without making us think, either verbally or in your mind? And you put your whole energy into it. That's love. If you're part of a small group and we're having sign-ups right now, oftentimes you go into a group of people, and this happens even at church, and everything in you is, what can this person do for me? What can this group do for me? How can this person help me? But instead you flip it. How can I help the leader of my group? How can I help the people in the group? And that's love. it makes such a difference. That's why it's the guiding principle for all of life. Once you've experienced this and people doing this to you, and once you've seen God take care of you as you do it to others, there is nothing in this world that can replace Jesus's love. It's the most powerful thing. It changes our life. It changes the lives of others. And oftentimes people experience it through you and through me. There's opportunities. So my prayer is that God will help us to see them. There's some next steps that you can take today. We do this every week. I'm going to invite the band up. Um, As Joel had you fill out that connection card, go ahead and and fill that out. But I I want to encourage you, um, if you've never committed your life to Christ and you want to learn more about Jesus' love and how that can change you and your decisions and your priorities, if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, you can mark on the connection card that you'd like to do that today. And we would love to follow up with you and provide more information. And so if you've never done that, check that box. Uh, The second is maybe you just want to read the scriptures in that practical snapshot section. And you just kind of want to chew on those a little bit. Ask God to show you some insights of maybe how you could apply that kind of love to your workplace, to your neighbors, to your kids, to your spouse. And then the, the last thing is maybe you've just gotten the sense, as, as I've been talking, that you have a selfish strategy. There's something that you try to do that you may not have ever told anyone, but you realize you're, you're just trying to kind of put yourself in a position above somebody else. And maybe it's just time to, to get real with that before God. Like, God, I do this a lot. I want to maneuver so I get my needs met before this person. Let's just ask God to, to, to show you that if he hasn't. And if he has, to just confess that to him. Tell him. He knows. And so you can write that on there. So I, I want to replace selfishness, which could be a, an attitude or an action that you have to somebody in your life. And then replace it with something that, that we've talked about today. And so I, I encourage you, this happens moment to moment, opportunity to opportunity to the people that... That God brings us. So I, my prayer is that this will be the kind of people that we are. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your Son Jesus Christ, who came on this earth and modeled love in every aspect of his life. Uh, he never acted selfishly. He never acted uh, with his own agenda. He actually came to to do your will. And to love you and to love others to the point that he laid down his life. It was a real event that transformed history. And that event not only gives us the chance to be loved by you, but also to extend that kind of sacrificial love to other people. And so, God, show us if there's anything in us, any strategies, any maneuvering, any attitudes, any actions that are not pleasing to you, that put us above others. And God, give us just a, an idea of how we can choose to be eager or how we can choose to go above and beyond. And God, help us to do that this week. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.